There is a time we know not when, a point we know not where, that marks the destiny of men to glory or despair. There is a line by us unseen that crosses every path, the hidden boundary between God's patience and God's wrath. Hello, and welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is senior pastor at Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. We're in chapter 10 of the book of Romans. This is the section which looks at Israel's rejection of Jesus Christ as the nation's promised Messiah. However, that doesn't mean that God is done with Israel, nor does it imply that we should not share the gospel with the Jewish people. God still loves his chosen people, and we as believers should do likewise. Well, our faith is not in a book, it's in a person. And that's a very slippery statement. That's the kind of statements that liberals make, where they say, you're not under the Bible, you're under the Lordship of Christ. Listen, everything you believe about Christ is from the Bible. We don't know anything about Jesus that's accurate apart from the Bible. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. And that word is to be proclaimed through God's people. And it's certainly not a blind faith. It's not an ignorant faith. And if you're here today and you have questions over the authority of Holy Scripture, if you're a visitor and have questions, I'll give you a free book before you leave, How to Prove the Bible is True. Now, if you're a Christian and a member, you have to pay for it. I don't make any money on it, but How to Prove the Bible is True. You can know the Bible is the Word of God. God has given some internal proofs to show it's the only book He has ever inspired. And by the way, this principle that faith is born through the hearing of the word, that faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ is a theme that runs all the way through scripture. Hold your finger here, would you? And turn to the right to 1 Peter. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1 for a moment. 1 Peter chapter 1 and turn to verse 22 of chapter 1. If you're new to the Bible, maybe just find Revelation and scan back a little bit and you'll find 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter is written to those who have been chosen by God according to his foreknowledge. The Bible teaches that the people of God are chosen and that that choosing, as we studied in Romans 8, is according to God's foreknowledge, his prognoskel. God knows everything. He knows how you would respond to the wooing work of the Spirit when you are dead in sin. And because God knows everything, if he didn't know everything, he wouldn't be God. Three times in the Revelation, it can say that God wrote your name in his book before the foundations of the earth. That doesn't change your free will. God already knows who's going to be saved and who's not. It does not change one thing in terms of your free will. God is just an omniscient God. And so he speaks to those, he's speaking to believers who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. And here in this first chapter, he explains how this second birth makes us born-again Christians. Look at verse 22, 1 Peter 1, 22. Since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. Now, I want you to see there's a connection between God's love for us and what is to be our sincere and fervent love for other Christians. And it's connected by this little word, for. In other words, fervently love one another, verse 23, for or because you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, 
but imperishable, that is through the living and abiding word of God. And so the connection between verses 22 and 23 is this little three-letter word, for. Peter is reminding me that we are to fervently love one another. Why? Because we have the same father. We're born of the same seed. And if we're born of the same seed, then that makes us brothers and sisters in Christ. To those who've received Christ, he's given them the right to be called children of God. And so on the one hand, the Bible says you are born again by the spirit in John 3. On the other hand, in texts like this, it says you're born again by the word of God. Which is it? It's both. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God because faith comes from hearing and hearing by the Word of God. No one in any age at any time has ever had faith apart from the Word of God. And he says that we're born of incorruptible seed, as the King James says, or imperishable seed, as the NAS puts it. Now, my first birthday came as a result of corruptible seed. My father, Richard John Brogy, is dead. His father is dead. His father's father is dead. And I come from a long line of corruptible seed. But we who have been saved are born of incorruptible, imperishable seed through the living and abiding word of God. Now go back to our text, if you will, here in Romans chapter uh, 10. And by the way, James states the exact same truth. I didn't read it, didn't have you turn there, but let me read it to you. It says, by his own choice, by the Father's choice, he gave us a new birth. How? By the word of truth. So the instrument, don't miss this. This is important to how you're ever going to share your faith. The instrument that the Spirit of God uses to bring about genuine conversion is the Word of God. So you ought to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, out of its sheath this week and use it. The degree to which you believe what Romans 10, 17 is saying, what 1 Peter 1, 23, what James 1, 18 is teaching, the degree to which you believe that is the degree to which you're going to use Scripture in evangelism. Some of us don't have five verses memorized concerning the plan of salvation. People all the time say, I can't memorize scripture anymore. Pastor, my mind's just too stale. You can memorize it if it's important to you. If I paid you $1,000 for every verse of scripture, you'd become a memory machine. You would learn the scripture. It's a matter of whether it's important to you. And some of us have never seen people come to Christ because we're not using the word of Christ to evangelize. And yet that is the very tool, the eternal seed that the spirit of God uses to bring about conversion. Now, back here in our text, someone might reason, well, since they did not believe, maybe they just never really heard. Maybe it was not a problem of heeding, but a problem of hearing. And Paul wants to underscore that's a total impossibility, and he appeals to Scripture as his authority. Look at verse 18. But I say, surely they have never heard. Have they? Indeed they have. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, and their words to the end of the earth. Now, it's an Old Testament quotation. Where does it come from? I heard someone say it, the Psalms. It's from Psalm 19. Now, if you know Psalm 19, we use it all the time as Christians to describe what we call general revelation in deference to specific revelation. Specific information that God has given concerning the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ is different from general revelation that God has given. General revelation is that information about God that all men have, irrespective of where they live on the earth, irrespective of whether they've heard the name of Jesus, whether they've ever held a Bible in their hands. 
And that general revelation comes on three realms in Scripture. By God's care for His creation, by man's conscience within, and by the creation. And so we saw in Romans 1 that the creation is shouting God's invisible attributes. That's why God's Word teaches there's no such thing as an atheist. And He devotes one half of one verse to atheism. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Why? Because the creation is shouting God's existence. Let me refresh your memory with Psalm 19. The heavens are telling the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Though the witness of creation is silent, the rocks and the trees and the ocean does not literally speak, creation still shouts. Their line, their voice, their message has gone out through all the earth in their utterances to the end of the world. That is the same verse that Paul is quoting from the Psalms. Now, when you read it in the Psalm, and you read it here, it reads just a little bit differently, because if you remember, he's not quoting the Hebrew Bible, he's quoting the Greek Old Testament. So you could say their voice, as the Psalm says, or their line, or their message has gone out through all the earth. The message of creation shouts God's existence. Now, wait a minute. Why does Paul use that verse, speaking of creation, a witness that every person has, and he applies it to every Jew for a simple reason? He is applying the general revelation that every person has in the creation to the revelation that every Jew had in the first century. You could not go anywhere in the first century and find a Jew who had not heard about Jesus. The gospel was taken to every corner, nook, and cranny of the Jewish people. And so he takes that and he applies it to the Jewish people, just as the Gentile has no excuse over God's existence, even so the Jew has no excuse over the fact that they have not heard about Jesus. And so they are indeed without excuse. So, number one, hearing is not believing is first seen in the fact that Israel did not heed the good news. And by the fact that Israel could have believed the good news, but to put the final nail in the coffin, pay attention, this is meaty, you got to hang in with me, but let God use this in our lives today. Israel should have believed the good news. They should have believed the good news. This great apostle demonstrates not only could they have believed, They should have believed. Notice what he writes here in verse 19. But I say, surely Israel did not know, did they? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation. By a nation without understanding will I anger you. Paul is anticipating, as we've seen him do this all the way through Romans, he anticipates the objection that people would raise. And so he asks questions and then he answers them. And so he's anticipating the next objection. Well, maybe they heard, maybe the problem was they just didn't understand. And so he says here in verse 19, but I say, surely Israel did not know did they? And he uses a very refined word for no here in the original. It means to intelligently comprehend a truth. So the question is being asked, they didn't understand. That was the problem. And Paul says, no, they did understand. They understood completely. This was not some blind ignorance. And to substantiate that truth, he goes to the scripture as his authority. First, he quotes Moses. I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation. 
by a nation without understanding will I anger you. Now, if you go back and you look in the margin, where does that come from? Deuteronomy chapter 32. And if you remember Deuteronomy 32, Moses, he's right at the end of his life. This is the last sermon the Jewish people are ever going to hear him preach. He's getting ready to go to the top of Mount Nebo and the Lord's going to take him out and he's going to hold the funeral service and, and, and bury his servant. And so Moses gives him a sermon and he gives them a sermon, interestingly, in the form of a song. You know, there's something about a song that's easy to remember. You may have trouble memorizing a verse of scripture, but if you put it to song, you'll know it. My kids still sing scriptures that my wife gave them. They sing them. When they hear it, the tune goes off in their mind. Why? Because there's something about hearing a verse of Scripture in song that allows you to internalize it. And so the Psalms was the Jewish songbook. They sang those things. And the Jewish people sang this great message. And it's a powerful message. Again, it's his farewell address. And it teaches a time when the Jewish people would spurn Messiah. But it also, again, looks down the corridors of time when the Jewish people will receive Messiah. And to this day, the Jewish people, at least once a year, sing this song. They're still singing it. And when you come to Revelation chapter 15, you find the Jews who have been converted who are in heaven by persecution still singing the song during the time of the great tribulation. So Moses, in this song, foretold their rejection of Messiah. And he rebukes them for what they do. But he also looks way past their rejection to a future time when they will receive them. And so this is not some blind ignorance. They willfully, knowingly, understandedly rejected Jesus Christ. This was a deliberate rejection. And if that's not enough, let everything be confirmed by the mouth of two or three witnesses. Paul calls up another witness. Look at the next verse, verse 20. He calls up Isaiah, chapter 65. And Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. So both Moses and Isaiah predicted a time when Israel would reject Christ, but a people, a nation, that's us Gentiles, non-Jews, who weren't even looking for him, would indeed receive him. Now, you might be thinking, how does the fact that Israel, being jealous of the Gentiles, answer the objection that their problem was not one of understanding, but of rejection? Very simple. Follow the logic. It's real clear. When the Gentiles heard the gospel, what was the Gentiles' response in the first century? They said, the Jewish God, Yahweh, He is the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We believe Him. That was their response. And what was the Jewish response? They didn't say, oh, they're just a bunch of heathen, those Gentile nations. Who cares what they believe? That was their response in the past, but not anymore. Not in the first century. When the Gentile nations called Jesus Lord and say that they believe in him as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they are jealous. And their jealousy turns into anger and it turns into persecution. Look at verse 21. But as as for Israel, he says, all the day long, I've stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. In other words, because he sought to make the Jews jealous 
through the Gentiles. And all you have to read is the book of Acts. They didn't respond to that jealousy and common faith. But in spite of that, does that mean God had forsaken the Jewish people, that he didn't care about them? No, not at all. And this verse is plain. All the day long, here's God, with outstretched arms, welcoming who? A disobedient and obstinate people. God is still reaching out to them. You say, Pastor, I'm not sure what all this passage means to me. Well, let me give you some applications as we close. Number one, your preaching the Word of God is necessary to generate faith. Your preaching of the Word of God is necessary to generate faith. Again, we learn that our feet are beautiful when we take the message of the gospel and share it. And again, hearing the word of God, hearing the word of Christ is what God produces faith with. Faith comes from hearing, hearing by the word of God. Christians say it all the time, well, I just want to live in such a way that people will see my godly life and want to be saved. Oh, no, no, it doesn't work that way. Now, God may use your changed life, your godly life, to give you a platform in which to share, but unless they hear the message of truth, the gospel is propositional. It must be given in word. Unless they hear the message of truth, unless you, like a farmer who goes out and sows seed, which is the word of God, unless you sow that seed, no one is going to be converted. And so every person in any time in human history, even before the Bible was written, before the first verse of Scripture was given, men were still saved through the Word of God. It came in various portions in various ways, through visions, through dreams, but it was still the Word of God. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And so some of us, if we want our feet to be beautiful, we need to go out and we need to share the Word of God and we need to change our style of evangelism that we've been using. Hey, listen, insanity, as it's been said, is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting to get different results. And if you're not seeing people come to Christ, maybe the methodology you're using is not a biblical methodology. You need to share incorruptible seed. So your preaching of the Word of God is necessary to generate faith. Secondly, your preaching of the Word of God does not guarantee genuine faith. Your preaching does not sh guarantee conversion, genuine faith. You say, well, that's encouraging. No, it's reality. Not everyone will respond, not because of a lack of information, but because of a willful rejection of the truth. And so in the Bible, there is different kinds of ignorance. First, there's the kind of ignorance that comes from simply neglecting knowledge. And so you, uh, you sign some contract, and all of a sudden, long into the contract, you realize you did not read the fine print. But you're still responsible for the fine print. Ignorance is no excuse. Or you're driving along the highway, and you're minding your own business, and all of a sudden, the blue lights show up in your rearview mirror, and you pull over. And the police officer said, you're, you're speeding. You're going 10 miles an hour over the speed limit. You say, oh, no, officer, I was going 45 miles an hour. He said, that's right, you were doing 45. But back there, you entered into a school zone, and now it's 35. You're breaking the law. Didn't you see that sign? No, I didn't see it. The officer said, oh, you didn't see the sign? Oh, I understand. Go on your way. Have a great day. Not usually. Doesn't usually work that way. Listen, I'm responsible for the truth, no matter what. But there's another kind of ignorance that's used in the Bible, and it's what we call a willful ignorance that this whole text is unfolding for us by example. 
The Jews in Paul's day were not guilty of just blind ignorance. They were guilty of willful ignorance. And so God describes them here in verse 21 as a disobedient and obstinate people. A disobedient, it's a word that means someone who spurns the truth. They kind of stiff arm God. They knew the truth, but they didn't want the truth. And so throughout Scripture, as I've already highlighted, the term disbelieve and disobey are connected together. He who believes in the Son has life. He who does not obey the Son, the wrath of God is on him. When Paul writes the church at Ephesus, he says, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, their unbelief, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And so God describes the unbelievers in this world as sons of disobedience. It is a willful rejection of the truth. And yet God loves them. He still welcomes them. He holds his hands out to them, a disobedient and obstinate people. He calls them disobedient. He calls them obstinate. And it's an interesting word. It's two words, anti. We get our prefix, anti or against. And legeo, you know the word logos, the word. Legeo is verbal form, to speak. So it's to speak against the word. He's indicting the Jewish community, and he's indicting our community that they spoke against the word. They heard the word, but they were so disobedient, they became obstinate, and they spoke against the message. And listen, you may go out this week, and people will speak against the word that you say. They'll mock you, and they'll make fun of you, but it does not change the truthfulness of the word. But God, with outstretched arms, still reaches out, but there comes a time when God stops holding his arms out. The psalmist says he'll not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. There's a time when the love of God turns into the wrath of God. And we've already seen in Romans 1 that there are two dimensions to God's wrath in the Bible. There's the future coming wrath of God, but there's the wrath of God that is now being revealed today. When because a man would not believe, he cannot believe. The final callous is put on the human heart. God said, please come to Christ, receive Christ, believe on Christ. And you said, no, 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 no. And finally, God says, I'll give you your wish. That famous Princeton theologian, when Princeton Seminary still taught the Bible, Joseph Alexander wrote these words. There is a time we know not when, a point we know not where, that marks the destiny of men to glory or despair. There is a line by us unseen that crosses every path, the hidden boundary between God's patience and God's wrath. You say, Pastor, God doesn't do that anymore. God is love. Yes, He is love. But the Bible also says God is a consuming fire. You know, all the way through Romans 10, you look down at the page, it's just filled with capital letters. And he continually quotes the scripture as his defense. In verse 8, he says, what does it, meaning the scripture, what is it, what does the Bible say? In verse 11, he says, the scripture says. In verse 16, he says, Isaiah says. In verse 19, he says, Isaiah says. In verse 20, uh, Moses says. In verse 20, he says, Isaiah says. In verse 21, Isaiah says. He's saying, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. Just take that simple little statement here in verse 11. For the scripture says. 
It does not say Moses said, Isaiah said, the Bible said. It says the scripture says. Because this is a living book that speaks the voice of the living God. God has given us a point of authority. I was speaking this week to an Episcopalian. And he told me, well, I, I think our denomination is right in allowing bishops to be homosexuals and to marry homosexuals. And the bottom line in my discussion with him is not whether homosexuality is right or wrong. The bottom line is, what is my authority? What does the scripture say? It doesn't matter what your priest says. Doesn't matter what your pastor says. Doesn't matter what your church says. Doesn't matter what your denomination says. It doesn't matter what the president and the vice president of the United States say. What is important is what does the Bible say? That is our authority. That is the living, alive, incorruptible word of God that we need to use in the evangelistic process. And so some of you here today, you've never been saved. You say, I hope I go to heaven. I think I go to heaven. You need to come to Christ. If you don't know, you haven't trusted, you haven't rested in the finished work. You need to believe on the Lord Jesus to be saved. And God wants you to be saved today. You say, I'm not going to be saved today. That's your choice. That's your free will. But remember, God won't be patient with you forever. And there's a line known only to him between his wrath and his love. Don't put the final callous on the human heart because tomorrow may be forever too late for someone. Let's bow in prayer. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. You're here today. You say, Pastor, I don't want to be a rebel. I want to put myself under the Scripture. I want to respond to the Lord Jesus. Well, you can because of what He did. He didn't die for some of your sin or most of it, but all of it. And so whoever will call on Him as Yahweh, as the living authoritative God who can save from sin. He'll save you today. Salvation is not something that's earned. It's a gift that's received. But you must take God at his word. That's called faith. And so on the basis of what Jesus did by his death and resurrection, the gospel, the power of God to save you, would you in simple childlike faith to say today, Lord Jesus, save me. Now, our Father, we thank you this morning for the time we've had in your holy and precious word, may we have ears, not just to hear physically, but to heed. I pray today for someone who is here who's never been saved, and there is a hidden boundary between your love and your wrath and your grace. Help someone today to realize that this may be their day, maybe even their last day, to respond. Help them to know that, as your word says, today is the day of salvation. Help someone today listening to say in simple childlike faith, knowing that Jesus paid it all on his cross and proved his ability when he was raised, help them to say, Lord Jesus, save me. Help those of us who have already said that in faith to say, Lord Jesus, use me. Let me be your voice this week. Let me have feet that are active and engaging and moving to carry the good news. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. 
It is so important for Christians to be actively sharing their faith and to encourage one another to do so. To listen again to today's message, download the Search the Scriptures app in the iTunes Store or Google Play Store. You can also listen online at searchthescriptures.org or request a CD or DVD copy by calling 877-787-7478. Perhaps you have a question you'd like to ask Pastor Brogy personally. You can do that on Tuesday mornings between 11 and noon Eastern during his live call-in program, The Bible Line. Simply call 877-924-7980 between 11 and noon Eastern on Tuesday mornings. You can listen to The Bible Line online at wagp.net. Tomorrow we'll begin a sermon entitled, Has God Abandoned Israel? Join us then as we search the scriptures.